This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Vera Meat. Vera Meat creates divinely weird and whimsical jewelry for those with unusual taste. Her pop-a-culture talismans are playful and stylish, like her talk-to-the-witch-hand palmistry ring, vampire-luck golden fang necklace, and her brand-new tarot collection, which allows you now to adorn yourself in meaningful, magical tarot card imagery. Vera Meat also uses healing, supportive stones in her pieces, like garnet, and black sapphire. She's also got apparel and accessories covered in moons, runes, and witchy babes. And Witchwave listeners can use code WITCHWAVE for 60% off orders on verameat.com through January 2022. You heard that right. You get 60. That's 60% off using offer code WITCHWAVE all one word, at verameat.com. That's V-E-R-A-M as in magic, E-A-T dot com. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Baby Soap. Do you like to dwell in the shadows but stay squeaky clean? Then Witch Baby Soap is the soap for you. They make fabulous occult-themed body products like coffin-shaped bath balms, tarot card soap, and crystal-embedded body butters. Their recipes are made with magical intentions, and they're free of all of those nasty things like sulfates and parabens. And now, you can get 15% off orders using offer code WITCHWAVE. That's WITCHWAVE, one word, on witchbabysoap.com. So get ready to wind down, lather up, and get some Witch Baby Soap products using offer code WITCHWAVE now. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Kate's Magic Intention-Based Aromatherapy. Kate's Magic makes 100% pure aromatherapeutic-grade essential oils combined with the highest quality ingredients, blended during sacred ritual and charged with the healing power of Reiki and Intention. All of Kate's Magic products are hand-blended in small batches with love and mindfulness by a staff comprised of Reiki practitioners who hold the intention of each product throughout the entire production process. Kate's Magic's aromatherapy provokes the senses, conjures wisdom, and calls forth peace, love, and trust to support people on their life path in order to invoke positive changes by uniting the power of intention with the beautiful aromas of Earth's sacred and medicinal plants. Kate's Magic carries anointing oils, which are perfect for setting daily intentions, Aura mists for instant energetic shifts and exotic all-natural perfumes inspired by the ancient Egyptian art of perfuming. Diffuser oils, single-note essential oils, body lotions, and more magical tools for rituals. They are a woman-owned and woman-operated business in historic downtown Tucson, Arizona, and which we listeners can receive 10% off with offer code WITCH. So go on ahead to katesmagic.com. That's K-A-T-E-S-M as in magic, A-G-I-K. And use offer code WITCH for 10% off. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave.
Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. One of the most commonly used songs for any kind of TV show or movie trailer having to do with witchcraft is that Donovan song, Season of the Witch. And I've had that song on a loop in my head ever since I've been working on this episode because I get to talk to the magical embroidery and textile artist, Christy Johnson. And as you probably know, one of the repeating lines in that song goes, you've got to pick up every stitch. Must be the season of the witch. It's an evocative phrase that's derived from knitting, My understanding is that to pick up your stitches means to correct what's called a dropped stitch or a missed or mistaken stitch. But that phrase has also come to be a colloquialism, which means to make sure you're doing things correctly, fixing your mistakes or missteps, or making sure you're not leaving anything behind. I like to imagine that Christy Johnson has an affinity for this stitchy, witchy song as well, though she might take issue with the picking up every stitch sentiment because, as you'll hear, she is adamantly against the idea of perfectionism and sees so-called flaws and idiosyncrasies in sewing and knitting and crafting in general as where the true magic lies. I love this conversation with her because it made me think about the long history of string and weaving and witchcraft. A classic spell is called a witch's ladder, wherein one takes yarn, thread, rope, or even hair, and recites an incantation while tying knots and sometimes feathers, beads, or other charms into it, all the while focusing on the spell's intention. There are many variations you can find of this spell, or you can write a version of it yourself, but a common witch's ladder incantation goes like this. By knot of one, the spell's begun. By knot of two, the magic comes true. By knot of three, so it shall be. By knot of four, this power is stored. By knot of five, my will shall drive. By knot of six, the spell I fix. By knot of seven, the future I leaven. By knot of eight, my will be fate. By knot of nine, What's done is mine. Some people then hang this witch's ladder up or tie the ends together. And some toss the ladder away once the spell's outcome has been achieved, while others keep it as long as they care to. And of course, you can get super specific about all of this and choose certain colors of yarns or kinds of charms that are related to your desired manifestation. But I love this spell, not only because it is so simple and accessible, but also because it's an example of a literal overlap between arts and crafts and witchcraft. And remember, like so many so-called domestic arts, such as weaving and cooking and gardening and cleaning, witchcraft often involves the realm of the home, which was traditionally considered the feminine sphere. And as we know, domestic arts and witchcraft and feminine things in general have all been undervalued and underestimated over the years. And yet, they are often the sources of the most potent creativity, ingenuity, and of course, magic. Christy and I touch on all of this and more in today's conversation about stitch witchery. But before I get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. 
Who is it? Witches. Carly writes, Dear Pam and the Witchwave team, I am an emerging expressive arts therapist, which basically means I use creativity, spontaneity, playfulness, and various art modalities to work with clients therapeutically in their journeys of healing the effects of trauma and cultivating an enduring sense of calm and pleasure. I am also a longtime witch and practitioner of intuitive ritual, Reiki, and yoga. I am a younger psychotherapist in my late 20s, and I feel incredibly privileged to get to do a job that I love and believe in so much. My question is related to my reflections around how I hope to commit to my own authenticity and enjoyment as an integrative therapist as I begin the process of starting my private psychotherapy practice after several years of community-based mental health work. I want to clearly present my therapeutic services, which already emphasize creative expression and cultivating insight, as available and open to occult practitioners, witches, energy workers, and artists. I have found that some of my own therapists have responded to my comments about my more esoteric musings or rituals in a way that is disappointing and dismissive. I hope to create a healing space for my own clients that welcomes and affirms these practices as legitimate and meaningful. Do you have any advice for how I might make my services more accessible or recognizable to occult practitioners? Or are there any potential rituals or spells you could suggest for how I might help such clients find me, or how I might draw the attention of the folks who I would love to work with? Hi, Carly. Well, I can tell you firsthand that I often get asked by listeners how they can find therapists who are also witches themselves or who are at least witch-friendly or witch-adjacent. So I am certain that these potential clients are out there for you. just want to affirm that. Now, as to how you can make your services more clear for them or how you can find them... I confess my immediate answer might sound a little bit self-serving, but it really is one of the most effective means of reaching the kinds of folks that you're hoping to reach, and that is to become a Witch Wave Patreon backer, because as part of that, you get access to the Witch Wave Patreon Facebook group, which is filled with listeners who ask each other questions and offer support and share their own projects, and so on. And of course, you could also consider becoming a Witch Wave sponsor and have me read an ad all about your business, like the ones that you hear me do on these episodes, but that admittedly does come at a steeper price. But besides just the platforms that I can offer you, there are so many witchcraft conferences and magazines and podcasts and so on for you to consider sponsoring. Now, if all of that is too cost prohibitive at the moment as you are building your new business, I completely understand. And I would remind you that Instagram, while highly imperfect, is still a solid way for you to share your own work and philosophies and connect with like-minded people. You might also want to see if any of your local witchcraft shops or New Age shops have bulletin boards, a lot of them actually still do, and would let you leave a flyer or postcard behind. And I'm not sure what kind of language you're using on your own website, but get a witchy friend to have a look and see if there are certain turns of phrase or imagery you can use or references you can make which allude to your magical approach. That is, if you're not comfortable just stating it outright, that you welcome spiritual seekers of all stripes, including witches, and so on. Now, in terms of a spell you can do, well, why not try a witch's ladder, like the one I just described at the top of the show? You're a creative therapist, so I love the idea of you creating a spell that incorporates your own artistry. While you're tying your knots and reciting your incantation, you can visualize the kind of magical clients you're hoping to attract. 
And don't be afraid to infuse it also with intentions of service and healing and abundance for yourself and for those you'd like to help. I would love to hear how this all turns out for you, and I am witching you lots of luck. Now, on to my guest. Christy Johnson creates mystical garments that blend elements of botanical dyes with handcrafted stitches. She is the creator of Mixed Color, a collection of textile goods made with natural materials and plant dyes, as well as an educational resource for textile artists. She is also the creator of Stitch Wish, a collection of hand-embroidered talismans designed as a form of metaphysical enhancement for use in ritual. All of her work with textiles and talismans honor the body, its boundaries, its extensions, and its relations to the world and the cosmos around us. Christy is also the author of Mystical Stitches, Embroidery for Personal Empowerment and Magical Embellishment. As a teacher, she also offers workshops in natural dyeing and embroidery and has created kits and booklets for students and DIYers. Her garments, booklets, kits, and embroidered artwork have sold at maker studios and boutiques across the U.S., Christy was raised in tropical Florida, and she studied fashion design at Otis College of Art and Design. She worked in the fashion industry in Los Angeles for nearly a decade before starting her own line of mystical garments and stitched artwork. Christy joined me from her home in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York via Zoom. Christy Johnson, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hi, Pam. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I am so thrilled that our stars have aligned both to have you on the show and also in real life because listeners know Matt and I just bought a house upstate and it turns out it's not too far from where you work. So that's really, really exciting. That's always wonderful to find new folks in the area. So. Yeah. So I guess that's a good place for us to begin because my understanding is that you have lived a bunch of different places, but now you're living up in the mountains. So what called you to our beautiful county? Yeah. So I was living in New York City. As much as I loved the community there and all of the opportunities there, I just knew I could not actually live in the city. I just was not my ideal place. I need space. I need quiet. I need nature to really thrive. And so I came up here with my boyfriend. He introduced me to a bunch of friends in the area. And my immediate reaction was like, why don't we live here? (laughs) And I didn't even know him that long, but I was like, I need to be here. (laughs) Yeah. It's a magical area. Just the combination of mountains and trees. And I mean, you really feel the seasons up here too. Right. Definitely. My mother grew up in Pennsylvania, same with my grandfather. And so I think there was a lot of that draw to this like sort of Northern Pennsylvania, Western New York area. And it felt kind of a little bit ancestral in that way. How beautiful. And since you mentioned ancestors, I get the impression that a lot of your work as an artist in thread and fiber feels deeply ancestral to you. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, definitely. Um, Both of my grandmothers were seamstresses. And I only found that about my father's mother pretty recently, that she could apparently make just about anything. And I'm like, I don't know why nobody thought to tell me that (laughs) at an earlier age. Wow. Where were your grandmothers from? I'm so interested in that. They're both from Georgia. My mom's mother is originally from Pennsylvania and then moved to Georgia, lived there for the majority of her life. And then my father's mother is from Georgia. My father's side of the family is Southern Black. The lineage goes back pretty far in Georgia and then obviously eventually to Africa, but we don't have much of that history. So, Mm. 
I didn't want to make assumptions, but the the name of your website and the umbrella under which you make a lot of different projects is called Mixed Color. And I was wondering if that was kind of a nod to your lineage or if I'm just reading into it too much. Yes, definitely. So much of what I create and what is driving me to sort of be an artist is this sort of blending of cultures while being fully respectful that each culture has their own kind of inherent qualities to it. It's not, you know, we can't just kind of universalize everything. Sure. But definitely seeing these sort of common threads that go through, sorry for the pun, but (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that's the start of many. Yeah. It's like, sometimes (laughs) it just happens. Seeing those sort of like commonalities woven through and understanding, even though both of my grandmothers had very different existences, they both had the basic requirements of raising children, dressing those children, making sure that everyone was clothed and that labor felt very much unrecognized for me. And that's something that I kind of wanted to always kind of bring back is like the labor that goes into creating textiles. When I had initially started creating under the name Mixed Color, I was also working with a lot of natural dyes. Mm. And so it was kind of a play on those words, a play on those concepts. So, yeah. Beautiful. I love that. So let's talk about Mixed Color. Can you just kind of walk us through all of the different projects that are rolled up under that umbrella? Because you do so many different things. (laughs) Yes. So initially... I started Mixed Color and it was going to be a clothing line and it was going to be ethically manufactured. And I had worked in fashion and I had seen all of the flaws in manufacturing and fashion. And I was like, I'm going to fix this all. And then I realized that I had become a one person factory. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, you know, I've created the factory flaw within myself. (laughs) Mm. So I started sort of expanding out and within the creation of these garments, because a lot of them were naturally dyed, they were handmade. There was a lot of education that went into talking with stores about how the customer should care for it or how they should approach these pieces or why they cost as much as they did. And that, I realized, was way more exciting to me than the actual (laughs) selling of products, the explanation of everything that goes into it. So I started doing a lot of teaching of different textile art forms, so natural dyeing and embroidery. And so that has become a really big part of it. And through that, I created my book, Mystical Stitches. And so that is more of like a way that I can teach more people and kind of expose people to these ideas without having to be there. (laughs) Absolutely. We're going to talk all about your book. But before we do, I always kind of love the challenge of trying to translate a visual craft into the podcast format because your work is uh, obviously very tactile and very visual since it's embroidery. But I would love for you to kind of describe, if you will, what your embroidery style looks like. Right. So a lot of the embroideries that I do are, the best way I can explain it would be a mix of cosmic visions and botanical inspirations. And so sort of combining the earthly elements and this seasonality of growth, decay, and death, and combining those with a more mystical quality and with these kind of more imaginal realms and kind of blending those two together. Yes. I was so attracted to your work because you use a lot of talismanic symbols and esoteric images. You know, there's a lot of eyes and hands and swords and moons and stars and and all of this, as you say, very cosmic, I would say very witchy kind of iconography. (laughs) So how did that start for you? Yeah, I initially, a lot of the work that I was creating when I was living in New York City was very geometrically based. And so it was based a bit on sacred geometry, but also just generally how shapes and colors can start to overlap to create these really calming and soothing effects. And I think that was very much in reaction to living in a place that was very chaotic, you know, hustling and bustling, and I needed something calming and soothing. So then when I moved up here, I started doing a lot more research into things like the tarot, into these more like witchy concepts and doing a lot more research into the subconscious and different ways of sort of thinking of the world and thinking of the way that our minds work. A big part of that was the sort of like silent death that is wintertime. Mm. And Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and especially here where it's just there's nothing going on. There's no noise. Sometimes you can't leave the house for a few days because there's some blizzard. And so that turning inwards and really starting to kind of research like the darkest parts of ourselves and where all of the beauty that we can sort of come up with from there and how important that is to access that started to combine itself into those geometric images. And so it was almost like needing to respond to the silence and to the calm with a little bit more, um, I don't want to say chaos, but like with a little bit more embellishment. Yeah, exactly. Like adding in a little bit more and being able to describe it, working with images, being able to describe these feelings and these sort of, that's where I feel like the sword really came in, where it was like this core kind of blade. Mm-hmm. And also you are a sister Aquarius. <laughs> I always think of the sword as like the air signs and, you know, cutting through the crap almost. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> How fabulous. So you have another element to your project Mixed Color that you call Stitch Wish, which are these hand-embroidered talismans. And I am so in love with them. Can you share a little bit about how you developed them and what exactly they are? Yeah, so the Stitch Wish talisman are these little patches created with different embroidered images on them. And oftentimes the fabric will actually be dyed with botanicals that are meant to emphasize the energy behind the imagery. So for example, one of the talisman that I have is called Overflow, and it is a cup overflowing with water and surrounded by flowers. And that one's dyed with marigold. And for me, seeing marigolds in the fall, they are just one of the most abundant flowers. They grow deep into the winter, you know, past the first frost. And so starting to translate how I can work with natural dyes as a discussion and combining that with how I can work with imagery. And I wanted to offer a work of art that was still affordable, that was still accessible, but also handmade. And so that became these small patches. And a big part of the reason that I decided to do it in this format of a patch is because you are then required to be a part of the conversation because then you go ahead, you get this patch, and then you sew it into something of your own. And so it's like this collaboration that I'm able to do with many, many people, and they're able to sew it into their own clothing. So it's also kind of like a gateway into like, hey, here's a needle and thread. Just try it. Maybe you'll like it. (laughs) I love that so much. Now, in your book, you write, quote, a talisman serves as a physical representation of the changes we wish to call into our lives. Its visual elements are in harmony with our desired transformation. And then you go on to explain the derivation of the word talisman. Can you share that with us, Christy? Yeah. So the word talisman The core of the word talisman is the Greek word telesma, which means to consecrate or to make a rite. And so for me, at least, I know many different cultures have different associations with how they work with talismans. Some are very specific in their imagery. But for me, I believe that a talisman is such because you made it so. Um, So any sort of imagery that you have infused with that rite that you have consecrated, that you have chosen to have that importance can carry that for you. And so by having it on a garment or somewhere nearby that you're kind of constantly interacting with, it serves as a visual reminder and it kind of grounds you into your intention. By seeing it over the course of your day, you're remembering, oh, right, okay, I want to bring whatever quality that is in this into me. And I possess that quality as well as this talisman possessing that quality. It's within you as much as it is within the object. Oh, so beautifully said. And when you're wearing your own garments or your own talismans, do you feel different than when you're wearing other things? I do. Yeah. I just recently, I feel like over the past two or three years, started keeping my own artwork for myself, like having the realization (laughs) that like, oh, I am worthy of my own art. (laughs) Yes. And I highly recommend anybody who is an artist, keep some for yourself. I think it's so important. And yes, when I'm wearing something that I've embroidered, I usually use it as sort of, I wouldn't say a defensive nature, but it becomes this sort of barrier between me and the outer world. And I'm able to sort of project outwards what I desire or project outwards how I want to be perceived in a way that is much stronger, I feel like, than just wearing 
normal clothes. And it's like the hours spent sitting over that shirt or that jacket, stitching into it and really sitting there with that imagery and infusing that clothing with that imagery. It feels like it really comes through when I then put that garment on. Ah, so badass. (laughs) On that note, Christy, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Snowy Owl Tea makes unique handcrafted tea blends made with real fruit, fresh ground whole spices, full leaf teas, and blossoms. These teas are created with your health and comfort in mind using 100% biodegradable tea bags. And I just adore their thoughtful and unique recipes, including Dreamgate, which is their blend of white tea with lavender and citrus to soothe and support. Witching Hour, in which earthy roasted black rice complements vegetal sencha green tea. And Warm Hearth, which is an herbal chai with a hibiscus flower base that they describe as a pink elixir that gives a spicy comfort on its own, and which is also amazing in cider or as a base for a hot toddy, and I have a feeling I'm going to be drinking a lot of that this winter. I also love Snowy Owl Tea's packaging with their whimsical and lovely illustrations of woodland creatures. And I feel obligated to mention that the sisters behind Snowy Owl Tea told me that all of their best teas start as gifts for loved ones or for each other, and that each batch of tea is lovingly sung to, featuring a wide range of divas from Dolly Parton to share. I mean, who can resist that? I certainly can't. You know you're going to want to discover their seven and counting varieties of tea blends for yourself. So pop on over to www.snowyowltea.com and be sure to enter code WITCH at checkout for 25% off your order. That's snowyowltea.com and code WITCH gets you 25% off your order. I'm a big fan of therapy and have seen firsthand how much talking to a professional has helped me manage my own anxiety and stress and trauma so that I can live the fullest life I possibly can. I've also seen how it's changed the lives of so many people that I care about for the better as well. And that's why I am encouraging you to check out BetterHelp which is an online counseling service that can provide you with your own licensed professional counselor to talk to via video or phone sessions. And it doesn't have to be that heavy of a topic. Maybe you just need a place to be heard and have an outside perspective on your everyday struggles with your job or your relationships. We all have so much that we're carrying with us these days between our personal issues and, need I say, global issues, and it's just a lot. And I'm telling you, talking it all through with someone who is trained and objective and not a friend or family member is such a gift because their job Their actual job is to listen to you and help you work through your feelings about it all. So please consider reaching out to the folks at BetterHelp, and they'll connect you with a counselor who you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. And they've been doing remote sessions since before it became the norm, so they've built a platform that's accessible, convenient, and secure. Also know that BetterHelp offers financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it really easy to switch counselors so you can find one that you truly click with. Best of all, Witchwave listeners get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com witchwave. That's betterhelp.com slash witchwave. Please take care of your mental well-being. It is so necessary, and there is absolutely support out there for you. Do what over a million people have done already, and head on over to betterhelp.com witchwave, find a great counselor to talk to, and know that I am here rooting for you. Feel well, and take good care with BetterHelp. 
Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Christy Johnson. So Christy, we were talking about talismanic clothing. And not only do you create clothing and patches that other people can buy, but you have now started teaching people and empowering people to create their own talismans and their own embroidery. So can you talk me through why you decided to do that, first of all, and how you are teaching people in all these different ways? Yeah. So for me, teaching was not something necessarily that I thought I would get into. It was kind of this, like a natural evolution. It was something that I was sort of driven towards. And in hindsight, I go, oh yeah, my father was a teacher. And I think I really picked up a lot of that from him. And I realized too, as I was starting to teach these skills, these basic natural dyeing and embroidery skills that more important to me than the actual technique was letting people know how capable they were of creating art. We all have a lot of different art wounds where we've been told what we're good at or what we can or can't do or what we are or aren't capable of. And for me, being able to expose people to the idea that like they actually really are creative, we're all creative, we all have the capacity to make art. I was able to use embroidery as sort of like a backdoor, like I think of it as like a gateway drug. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to introduce you to embroidery, but through that, we're going to talk about different concepts like composition and intention and how we're organizing color and how we're putting these pieces together. And like next thing you know, maybe you're making art and you didn't even know it. Ah, that's so great. So sneaky too, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) And so were you doing this in person at first? How did this all begin? Yes. So I was starting off working with teaching in person um, a little bit when I was in New York City and then a little bit more when I moved upstate and then traveling sort of around the area. But most of the time I have to go about an hour and a half to kind of get to areas that have enough people that I can kind of fill up a class. Sure. So when I transitioned to online, it became much easier. But the initial sort of in-person classes That gave me the education to realize how many people were saying to themselves, oh, no, I can't draw. Oh, no, I'm not really that good at art. And that's when I kind of kept pushing back on that and saying, Mm -hmm. like, well, like, why do you think that? Let's go a little bit deeper and why you believe that about yourself. Absolutely. Now, in your book, Mystical Stitches, Embroidery for Personal Empowerment and Magical Embellishment, I love that title, Mm -hmm. you write the following. I teach embroidery and textile arts for the imperfect human, for the visionary who wants to transform their dreams into textural designs on fabric through the art of embroidery. And you later go on to say that you teach for the hesitant creative. Mm -hmm. So what methods have you developed to help people kind of push through their own creative blocks, insecurities, art wounds, as you put it? First of all, I think that there's this addiction to perfection that is inherent in a lot of crafts. And I think that the way that they're taught is often like you must perfect it as opposed to how can we figure out ways to do it differently. Um, So that's the first part for me is when somebody's saying maybe I made a mistake or I'm doing this wrong, I kind of want them to push a little bit further and continue making this mistake over and over again (laughs) until maybe it turns into a whole nother concept or a whole new experience with the materials. Mm, That reminds me of this idea of glitch witchery, like Mm. the notion of like glitches and mistakes having their own magic and, you know, Mm. their own urge to express themselves, right? I love that. (laughs) (laughs) In the book, you're also giving people very practical tools for how to sew, how to stitch, you know, different kinds of stitches, as well as this real compendium, or I I think you call it treasury of symbols. So when you were writing the book, what were you hoping to accomplish or transmit to the reader? I wanted people to be able to have something that they could work from. So people who maybe did not feel that they were creative enough to come up with their own designs. I wanted to give them sort of, yeah, this treasury of symbols to pull from, to start to maybe develop their own collection of images. One of the most beautiful things I've seen emerging from the book is watching people start to take the designs and start to mix them together. Like maybe taking a salamander and combining that with 
a dandelion and creating their own compositions. And it's, again, it's this sort of like introductory session of like, how can we start to make art that has meaning behind it? How can we start to, without getting too caught up in making representational imagery, how can we start to combine images and start to express ourselves through our stitches? But you also have techniques for meditation and visualization and all of this kind of more spiritual or like cosmophysical kind of exercises that you've included in there too. And I'd love to hear about what made you decide to do that as well. Yeah, I think for me going through a lot of embroidery books while I was doing the research for it, you know, going through different types of stitches and things. One of the most inspiring books for me is Native Funk and Flash, who, which was written by Alexandra Jacopetti Hart, and that was written in the 70s. And a lot of what she was talking about that was the inspiration for some of the embroideries in the book were these meditative experiences, or in some cases, even like an orgasm or all of these different sort of transcendental experiences. And so because that is such an important part of my own work, this being in sort of a more contemplative state and being in a little bit more silence and seeing what I can find in the silence and in the darkness and, you know, what's behind closed eyes. I wanted to make sure to give people the chance to access that themselves, or at least just a little kind of guide towards that direction of being able to find that themselves. So obviously I'm going to ask you about the orgasm, Christy. I have no (laughs) choice. You know, it's in my contract. She's literally writing about stitching or embroidery and having that kind of physical reaction to it or interaction with it? Yeah. So one of the stories, basically this book is a collection of different embroideries. There's some pottery. There's a little bit of everything in there. It's basically just handmade creations. And she describes what was behind the artist's vision for it, which I find beautiful to be combined with craft because a lot of times craft books are very surface-based and they're not going a little bit deeper into why the artist made what they made. Mm -hmm. And so one of the images, I think it was her own artwork actually. Hell yeah. Uh, Yeah. And she described (laughs) this amazing orgasm that she had and she had this vision, you know, during this orgasm. And so she right afterwards got her pencil out and started drawing on the side of a pair of jeans. And it's just this explosive, very orgasmic vision that she's embroidered onto the side of a pair of jeans. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So she didn't have the orgasm while she was embroidering. Yeah. I mean, I suppose such things are possible. <laughs> <laughs> it was the visions that she captured through the orgasm <laughs> that she then translated into embroidery. That's really incredible. And of course, that makes me think of Judy Chicago, the amazing feminist artist. I mean, she works in so many different mediums, but certainly textiles. And so much of her work is very vaginal and very about kind of the feminine embodied sexual experience, right? And and it also makes me think about how so much of feminist craft or women's crafts have been so devalued over time. I'd love to hear you talk about your thoughts being an artist who works in a traditionally, quote unquote, feminine kind of craft. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, just researching the history of textiles is like very much intertwined, I feel like, with this sort of creative birthing portal (laughs) Mm. Um, and also being able to really take us forward as a species, our ability to create textiles from very early on in humanity was intertwined with childbirth because textiles were able to be made while raising children. They kind of went hand in hand in that sense, because you could pick up and put down these, you know, spinning yarn or anything. But when we step a little bit further into that basics of it, we were able to be mobile as a species because of textiles. We were able to strap babies on our backs and move across land. We were able to collect harvest. If you think about trying to collect a harvest in a ceramic vessel or in a piece of wood, those are both very, very heavy objects. When you can weave or knot together, some sort of vessel or a bag of sorts, all of a sudden that makes so much more possible. But because textiles break down and deteriorate so quickly, their history hasn't really been as well recorded as, say, iron or wood or ceramics. And and this is so interesting because my prior guest, 
was Sarah Shin from Ignota Press, and we talked a lot about Ursula K. Le Guin's essay, The Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction, and it's all about how the carrier bag, to your point, is this amazing metaphor that so often fiction and narrative you know, is about killing, is about weapons, is about (laughs) striking. And yet Ursula K. Le Guin talks about how the carrier bag is this Mm. other metaphor or this other kind of shape that we can collect things, collect stories, collect ideas in. And it doesn't Mm. have to just be about like linearity and, you know, the phallus and dudes and killing (laughs) each other. So I don't know that that's such an interesting point of resonance for me. Oh, I love that. I'll have to look that up. We almost can't even identify where it started or how much it helped us because it is so integral to our lives now that we take it for granted. And even just like being able to clothe yourself in a fabric that's going to be breathable that, you know, you can sweat in and it's not going to stick to you like an animal skin or something. This creation of fabric allowed us to do so much that we really just take for granted. It's its own genius but Mm -hmm. one that has been so devalued and still is. I mean, I still Mm -hmm. think about the fashion industry, which I know is very problematic, and yet it's also, I think, one of the art forms that is often the least respected even today. Yep, definitely. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Threshold, Lindsay Mack's channeled tarot download all about 2022, where she'll explore the themes, invitations, and opportunities awaiting us in the year ahead, as well as the tarot anchors that will be showing up as support systems to us in the process. Created by intuitive tarot teacher and prior Witchwave guest, the wonderful Lindsay Mack. The Threshold is a beautiful way to root into the medicine of the coming year and focuses on the themes of the lovers, the tarot card for 2022, the sixes, and so much more. This offering comes with hours of pre-recorded audio downloads, as well as a gorgeous workbook packed full of nourishing tarot spreads and rituals to close out the current year and open to the new one. Enrollment for this offering is open now. To sign up or learn more, go to tarotforthewildsoul.com slash courses. And be sure to use code WITCH for 10% off your tuition. That's tarotforthewildsoul.com slash courses. And code WITCH gets you 10% off your tuition. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Fat and the Moon. Fat and the Moon is an herbalist-formulated, coven-made line of plant-based bod care products created for self-care that's rooted in earth care. And on a personal note, I am totally obsessed with this line. Fat and the Moon believes potions are more powerful when in right relationship with people and planet. All of their potions are dreamed up, handmade, and lovingly shipped under one roof. Their head-to-toe, everyday herbal essentials are created for all bodies, backgrounds, and genders, and they are infused with locally sourced and non-toxic ingredients and delivered to your door in low-waste packaging. Fat and the Moon's got everything from adornment and skin care to toiletries and mane care. Some of my favorites are their bath soaks, of course, which are deeply relaxing and luxurious, as well as their Artemis at Dawn body powder, because you know I'm an Artemis girl and it smells like heaven. You might also want to check out their Sensitive Pit Cream with Basil and Vetiver, Dewy Aloe Lotion with Sunflower and Coconut Oil, and Cocoa and Lavender Dry Shampoo with Arrowroot and Clary Sage. Their herbal essentials are always made fresh to order. So show them some love and show yourself some love too by ordering their dreamy, 
earthy products at fatandthemoon.com. And even better, you can get 20% off of one of your orders by using code WITCHWAVE now through June 30th, 2022. That's fatandthemoon.com with code WITCHWAVE for 20% off one order through June 30th, 2022. Treat your bod right. Would you like even more WITCHWAVE? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Christy Johnson. So, Christy, I realize I keep quoting you to you, but (laughs) I'm going to read another passage. And forgive me, I can't remember if I got this from your book or your blog on your site, so please let me know. But you write, The creative process is not simply about what is being made. It's an entirely mystical process that teaches us how to move between the internal world of the soul and the physical world outside. Mm. So, I love that I wrote that. <laughs> I love that you love that you wrote that. So <laughs> I, I believe that was from your book. And can you elaborate on that a little bit? Can you talk about the magic of the creative process? Yes, definitely. So I think when we start to allow ourselves to create things in the physical world, we start to build up our belief in creating things in a greater sense. And that's another part of why I love teaching is because I'm able to share with people this experience of just moving from a pile of threads and a piece of fabric to an image on that fabric. And within that, and within any sort of creative act that we engage in, whether that's painting or writing or anything, this pulling from this kind of swirling pool of ideas and bringing it down into the actual physical world turns into sort of a language that we're able to use within our lives. And any creative act is going to start to help us build up resilience. It starts to help us build up problem solving. It helps us build up sort of bouncing back from failure in a way where failure becomes feedback. It becomes informative and it doesn't become any sort of indication of the self. And Mm -hmm. so that for me is, is a really, really important part of teaching creative acts and teaching different creative art forms Mm -hmm. is really encouraging that. Mm. It's so much about, I mean, I know the word mindfulness is used a lot these days, but that's the word that comes to me when I hear you talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's not a lot of invitations really to sort of make a mess and then clean it back up (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. in our modern lives. And I feel like that really can help us to explore that. And when we do that in our own lives, I love the idea of glitch magic that you were talking about too, where we can (laughs) sort of look at these mistakes and figure out like, okay, well, how can I work with this? Like what gems can I kind of mine from this experience? Absolutely. I also love the way that you talk about the physicality and the special magic of stitching. I forget exactly the phrasing, but it's something about how like the up and down motion of the stitches are kind of like going down into the underworld and re-emerging back up again, very like as above, so below kind of vibe. Yes, definitely. And that was something that Brandy from Magic Hour Astrology, the candle company, yes, they had shared that with me, this experience of when they had learned to embroider. And I was just like kind of blown away by that relation to it. And I also love this concept too, because there's a lot of in the 
craft of needlework, there's a lot of concern with what's going on on the underside of your stitches as they should be just as neat as they are on the surface. Mm. And for me, I kind of wanted to sort of flip that around a little bit and allow there to be a little bit more chaos underneath and allow people to be able to embrace, you know, things not being totally perfect on both sides of the stitches and maybe even bringing that up a little bit to the surface and maybe allowing there to be a little bit more unexpected things happening on the surface of the stitches as well. Having that combination of pulling the needle from below up to the surface and creating these images with that constant motion and with this constant sort of piercing through the veil that really drives me in a lot of the descriptive ways that I talk about it. Ah, that's so gorgeous. It also makes me think of like snake energy and kind of how that mirrors DNA energy and kundalini and all of those kinds of undulating energies that come up in various occult kind of writings and and images too. Yes. This idea of chaos and allowing yourself to be like loose, I might even say playful, is one that I think about a lot, certainly in my own life. And listeners have heard me say the phrase reverent irreverence a thousand times now. I was reminded of this when I was watching with Matt the new Beatles documentary that just came out, Get Back. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it yet, but, you know, you're basically just watching these geniuses, right? These Mm. absolute massive, brilliant artists, iconic. And so much of the time that they're writing, they're just fucking around. I mean, they are just, they're playing, they're messy, they're tired, they're frustrated, they're complete goofballs. A lot of times their ideas come from just like fucking around. And to me, that's kind of one of the messages that comes through when I think about someone having like really messy kind of stitching in the back and then seeing Mm. what kind of order or beauty or imperfection emerges on the surface from that. Mm, yes, I love that. And especially because one of my favorite songs from the Beatles is probably them just messing around where it's, why don't we do it in the road? And it's just kind <laughs> of like total chaos at the end. Like the singing just deteriorates into, you know, just pure joy. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I really appreciate that message coming from you because I do think of stitching as having to be so exacting. I really, I suppose it was just an assumption I had and I'm really happy to be relieved of that by you right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I um, I had an old boss that was really integral in sort of allowing me to understand how much of the mistakes that I was making in my stitching actually looked amazing and actually connected people to the humanity of those stitches. Mm. It reminded me of, you know, this idea that like the camera's already been invented. Like we don't need to reproduce what we see in the world with our art. Mm. And it's the same thing. Like the embroidery machine's already been invented. We do not need to make perfect stitches. And by having a little bit of pulled stitches or having a word that's sort of a little bit off center or having any element that's a little bit crooked, we all of a sudden feel a little bit more connected to that. Ah, I'm smiling so big. (laughs) I think I needed to hear that today, honestly, Christy. (laughs) I want to downshift us and talk about slowness and meditation because that aspect really comes through in your writing about embroidery and about, you know, natural dyeing and all these processes that they force you to slow down. You can only work so fast. And your brain, I understand, slows down while you're doing them, correct? Yeah. Even your heart rate will actually slow down with these acts, with these slower movements. So how has that affected you from a spiritual sense, a physical sense, and so on? Yeah, I think I've always been kind of like, go, 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 go. I have an Aries moon. And so I feel like there's that little bit of like fire need for immediacy, which is kind of ironic with the medium that I chose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, Christy. I guess you're making your own medicine, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Embroidery is this thing that moves fast enough where I can see that something's happening. But at the same time, I can only move my hand so fast. I can only do so many stitches in one day. And that sort of just really has helped me to step into also the place that I'm living in and kind of understanding that when you plant a seed, it's only going to grow so fast. Winter is going to last as long as winter lasts. Like there's not a whole lot of 
being able to make things happen that you can do. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a lot about just acceptance, right? Yes, definitely. Yes. Oof, another one that I need to learn over and over <laughs> again. There is a section in your book where you write about recycling repair and mm. you call it an act of salvation and resurrection. Mm. And I just love that image of kind of bringing old garments back to life. Can you share a little bit about why you choose to kind of work with older pieces of fabric as opposed to creating new garments? Or, or maybe you do both. Yeah, I much prefer working with older fabrics. And maybe it goes back to, you know, constantly being given hand-me-downs as a child. I was the youngest child. So like I basically was raised on Mm -hmm, Um, hand-me-downs. And even from like my mom's workmates, they would all give me their hand-me-down clothes. And being able to have this piece that has a story before you. And especially when we're getting pieces from maybe a thrift store or hand-me-downs, they are usually they're flawed in some way. They might have a rip or a tear or a stain. And when we have that sort of already existing mark on this piece of clothing, we kind of have to work with that. And it becomes sort of this conversation with this piece of clothing's previous life. And so by working in that specific realm, like, okay, it's got like a stain on the front. How can I work with that stain in a way that kind of honors the actual garment itself while also maybe bringing it into its new life, a new sort of way of being. Now, it's the holiday season. We're talking during Hanukkah. It will be airing just before the solstice and Christmas. And so I imagine you're going to have people who either are interested in creating some embroidery as a gift for the holidays, or perhaps they just want to get down with some stitching as like a nice meditative escape from holiday freneticism. So I'd love to hear just some tips for how people might get started. What is the first thing they should be thinking about? I don't know, buying? How do you kind of initiate people into your world of stitch witchery? Yeah, I think first of all, like whatever you have lying around to stitch on is a great place to start. And so we've all got, you know, some garments that just are not going to make it to a secondhand store. If something's torn or stained, it's not really going to make it, you know, it's probably going to end up in a landfill. So that's a perfect place to start, like with fabric that you already have. Something woven is usually the best place to start with embroidery. You want to work on non-stretch fabric. Mm, it's going to okay. make it so much easier. Mm-hmm. And then if you just get yourself, you know, you can get one of those packs of different color threads. It was like, they come in like 12 or 20 packs of different colors. That's a great place to start. Do just like a little, very precise note on supplies. I love using an embroidery hoop, but you want to make sure that you get a high quality one. Invest the extra five bucks in the nice wooden hoop. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And also you want to get a needle that has a very large eye so that you're actually going to be able to thread the eye of the needle. And so I use what's called chenille needles or tapestry needles. And those are going to be your best bets to start with. And I also think like if you're with family and your family stresses you out, embroidery is a great thing to do around family. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because you can still hold conversation. Yeah. I always envy people who knit because I feel like they have this thing to do with their hands. And yes, they can small talk, but they can also kind of be a little checked out. And I'm sure it keeps them chilled out too. Yes, definitely. When somebody says something that was like totally crosses the line, you're like, just keep stitching. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Check them a little bit, but we don't need to get into an argument about it. (laughs) There you go. And now in terms of symbols that somebody can start playing around with, do you recommend that someone sketches on their fabric first or should they just kind of start noodling? What do you think? I always sketch first. And I think just a really like cheap, affordable way to get into it. If you can find even in, you know, your cousin's art supplies or whatever, any Crayola washable markers, that's a great place to start. Oh, Um, nice. You just draw it on with the Crayola washable markers, the ultra washable variety, and they just wash right off. Or you can get them at Walgreens for like $2.99 for a pack of 12. So yeah, I'm always trying to think of like easy supplies that we can get anywhere. And that's a great way to start drawing on there. You just wash it out when you're done. Yeah, I definitely usually draw it out first, but also if you're still learning the stitches, feel free to just like freestyle and see where you go. So great. And of course, people can take your classes and read your book. 
where can they find you? Where should they be following you? Tell us everything because I know you're going to have some new students from this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my website is mixedcolor.net and everything I have is on there. I also have um, a free like embroidery resource on there. So you can learn all of the stitches just by signing up for the newsletter. Um, and I only send newsletters out like once a month, sometimes twice a month, if it's a really exciting month. <laughs> <laughs> but I have also my Instagrams that I use. My main Instagram is at Christy J and that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-J-A-Y. And then I have my Stitch Wish Instagram, which is a little more witchy. I have a little more fun over there. Um, and the mixed color Instagram is basically dead. Because so. <laughs> a person can only maintain so many Instagrams at one time. <laughs> uh, tell me about it. I know that life. <laughs> and I also know that people can purchase embroidery kits from you online. Of course, they can purchase your beautiful embroidery and garments and, and find out everything that you're up to, too, correct? Yes, definitely. And I've got that all linked up in my website. How fabulous. Well, Christy, it has been such a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your craft with me and your witchcraft with me. It has just been a great pleasure. Oh, thanks so much, Pam. It's been an honor to be on your show. <laughs> That's it for the show. Thank you again to Christy Johnson for sharing her stitch witchery with me. And just a heads up, the Witch Wave is now officially on winter break. New full-length episodes will be back starting on January 12th, 2022, though I may sneak in a bonus episode or two for Witch Wave Patreon backers between now and then, so do consider joining me over there if you haven't already. Otherwise, I'll see you, or at least speak to you, back here on January 12th, and I am witching you very happy holidays and a magical new year. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now by Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs>